we, uh, we're, we're family here. And so what that means is we kind of function or we try to function much like a family. Um, so what that means is nobody here has their act all together. We all put up with each other and learn and grow together. Um, we try to work together to help each other become more like Christ in all that we do. So as a fellowship, we have learned to cry together. We have learned to laugh. We do a lot of laughing together. Um, and on a day like today, we celebrate together. And so what I want to do this morning is um, I, I want to take some time this morning and I want to talk about the issue of marriage. And uh, because it's Jesse Pegg's 50th, it, it, the time frame worked out really, really well. Next week, we're going to start a series for three weeks on the mysteries of Christmas. And we're going to be looking at some of the mysteries regarding Christmas in the scriptures and what the Bible has to say. I want to take a little bit of time this morning and just talk about this idea of marriage. Now, I understand that it doesn't apply to everybody because some of you are not married. Some of you um, are divorced. Some of you are widowed. Some of you um, are, 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 are single. I, I understand that. But I would encourage you to hang on, and here's why. Because in the end, we're going to talk about how this applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ and the parallels in that. So... Uh, that's where we're ultimately going. One of the problems that we have right now is that we're in this cultural battle over this issue of marriage. And so some of you might be a little uncomfortable with some of the things that I'm saying, but hear me out. Uh, study it for yourself. Be open to what God would have for you and, 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 and listen um, to what God has to say and how God uh, speaks to your heart today. Um, Unfortunately, we're, we're in a world in which culture keeps creeping into the church and telling the church what it ought to do and what it ought to believe and how it ought to act. And that's backwards from the way that, that it should be. Um, our divorce rate in America is actually declining. And people go, oh, that's a good thing. Well, not really. The reason it's declining is because not as many people are getting married. Um, so, you know, uh, we have more and more people living together. We'll talk about that in a second. But part of it is that's what's happening in our culture. So I want to stop for a moment, and I want to address the issue of marriage from what the Bible teaches, okay? So we're going to go to an Old Testament passage, and we're going to go to a New Testament passage, and then we're going to make some applications for us and some things that we can apply as we go forward. So the Old Testament passage is found in Genesis chapter 2, um, and it's going to be on the screen. And let me read it. Let me read the whole passage for you. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. You need to understand that at this point in the story, God had created everything, and he kept saying, every time he'd create something, he said, This is good, this is good, this is good. And he said, I will make a helper comparable to him. Oh, i got to say this. Whatever it is, what's, what's yeah, whatever. Huh? Oh, it's the book thing? Oh, there we go. Okay. I was say, I, I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, wow, right. I get distracted too easy. You can't do that to me. I'm like, wow. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See? I told you we shouldn't have done the windows. No. Um, you had to be around to know that. All right, anyway, here's what he says. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. 
So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper found, uh, not a helper, not found a helper comparable to him. That's important in this story. Nobody talks about this, but we are this morning. Going on, here's what the passage says. It says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. It goes on, and it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. All right? That's the story um, in Genesis, uh, in the beginning of Genesis uh, chapter 2. Um, let me walk you through it, and let me bring out some things to make sure that we're all on the same page. First of all, when God creates everything... Um, he then brings Adam to, to that city situation. And he says, okay, Adam, I want you to name all of the animals. Now, here's a question for you. Why is that important? I mean, why didn't God just name them? See, God's doing something in the life of Adam. And he's bringing in a male giraffe and a female giraffe and says, give it a name, Adam. He's bringing in a male pheasant and a female pheasant and says, give it a name. And so as Adam is sitting there watching this, Adam's going, there's two of those, and there's two of those, and they're different, and there's two of those, and they're different, and there's two of those, and they're different. They're the same, but they're different. And there's two of those, and then there's two of those, and then there's two of those, and then there's me and nothing. God's helping Adam to understand that he needs a counterpart. He needs someone to come alongside of him and, and I don't, don't take this wrong, but to make up for his deficiencies. He needs somebody, literally the Bible, the Hebrew idea is to complete him. He needs somebody that will bring into his life this idea of two as one. And so it's important to understand that what God does is God then says, so first of all, what you see is you see God creating this desire within Adam for companionship. You've heard me say it over and over again. The Christian life is not a solo journey. God designed the Christian life so that we walk together and we learn from each other and we grow together. And, 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 so, and you see that here in the garden. You see it right off the bat in, in this thing of marriage. And so Adam goes to sleep and God creates something that is different. God did not create another man. God created something that was different, that was unique, that was special. And God brings it to Adam, brings her at Adam and says, Adam, here's what I've done. And he goes, whoa, man, that is good. That is good. That is awesome. Because Adam now had to receive her and accept her. And so Adam receives her and accepts her and says, you know what? This is now bone, and bone, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are together as one. And God did this incredible thing. God designed humanity, a man and a woman, so that they come together in this unique way. And it is, it is, it is physically impossible to be any closer than, than you could ever be. And God designed that whole mechanism. And he said, 
This is what I, I intended. This Now again, sin is not entering the picture. This is a perfect world. This is a perfect environment. You have man and you have woman. And God has said, this is what I want. And he said, now, here's what we're going to do. From now on, I'm not going to keep creating women out of ribs. He said, from now on, you're going to go and you're going to procreate. And you're going to procreate. And you're going to have children. And the process is going to be, you're going to leave. A, a child is going to leave his father and mother. And cleave unto his wife. And accept that gift just like... Adam accepted Eve. And he said, that's how we're going to do this now. And so for that cause, he says, a man's going to leave his father and mother. And, and, and I, when I deal with couples, one of the things I always stress is, look, you need to leave physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You've got to leave mom and dad. There are so many problems that get developed because one of the, one of the, one of the people hangs on to mom and dad or because mom, because mom and dad won't let go. I always tell parents, you need to understand. Uh, one of the things I do with the marriage council is what we call TPT, temporary, permanent, temporary. I was born into a temporary relationship with my, with my parents. I got married. That's a permanent relationship. We had children. Those are a temporary relationship. And I watched so many parents handicap their kids because they won't let them go. And they try to find ways to kind of manipulate and hang on and have those little tethers out there. Let me tell you something. You're crippling them. Let them go. That is so important. You know, and I have parents that, you know, it's like, you know, oh, I've got to keep them close. I've got to keep them close. Let, let me tell you something. I love my boys, but I explained to them the way it was going to work. I said, as long as you're in college, you have a place to stay. I said, the second you're out of college, I said, you're allowed to live here, and I will charge you rent. And I said, and what will happen is, every year, the rent will go up. <laughs> and I said, and the rent will get to a point where you're going to come to me and say, Dad, it's cheaper to live elsewhere. And I'm going to say, exactly. <laughs> because you know what? My goal in raising my boys was to get them on their own, not to be dependent upon me. And, and that is so important. And so God creates this way for, for, for children to be able to leave and, and, and for Adam and Eve to come together as one in a permanent relationship. Now, we get to the New Testament. It's a little different. And I'm going to go to probably the most controversial passage that everybody just hates and misuses and men abuse it and women hate it and blah, 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 blah. But before I get there, let me paint for you the picture of the time in which it was written. We're going to go to a book called Ephesians. It's written by a guy by the name of Paul. But the culture of the time is very, very important to understand. The Hebrew people had probably the highest ideal of marriage um, of any of the cultures around. But yet theirs was messed up, too. In the Hebrew culture, there were two schools of thought. One was that um, you should never, ever divorce unless there's immorality involved. The other school, the other group of Hebrews said, you can divorce for any reason, literally burning the toast. So if I said, hey, honey, make me breakfast today, and she burns the toast, I'm like, we're done. It's over. You know, some of you are going, wow, we we wouldn't have lasted very long. Yeah, exactly. That was the culture of the day. Okay? That was the culture of the day. In fact, when they come to Jesus, they they ask him. This was a question. They wanted Jesus to pick sides, and he wouldn't pick sides. And they want to know, where is he going to fall on this divorce thing? And he wouldn't pick sides. He said, I'm going to make it very, very clear. God doesn't like divorce. God hates it. 
And, and we'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, that was the Hebrew culture. They had probably the highest idea. There was the Greeks of the time. Um, the Greeks, they really had a messed up idea of marriage. Um, the Greek culture said this. Women had two responsibilities. Give me kids and take care of the house. In fact, the Greek culture taught of the time that if you wanted companionship, you never found it in your spouse. You went elsewhere for it. Companionship was to be found completely elsewhere. The Romans, oh, the Romans had a wonderful idea of it. Seneca, who was one of the greatest philosophers of the Roman day, here's what he said about marriage, about, about marriage and, and, um, and, and women. This is, this is, he, he says, women are to be married, to be divorced, and divorced to be married. That was the whole culture of the Romans of that day. Even in America, I don't know if you're aware of it, but you know it's not, it's not been until recently that men wore wedding rings. In our early culture, only women wore rings, and it was a sign of ownership. So you're going, oh, no, no. Exactly. Because what I want you to understand is when Christianity came in, it came in with a whole different view of the culture of the day. Here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 5. And, and let, me, let me preface this. You know, your, your wife submit. Oh, I'm done. No, no, time out. Hear me out, okay? When you look at Ephesians chapter 5, here's what you're going to find. The beginning of chapter 5 talks about walking in the Spirit. talks about how Christians should act. When you get to Ephesians chapter 6, which is right after this passage, it talks about how we, we, as Christians, we're soldiers and we have the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God and, and how God works in our lives. And in both of those passages, it's taught that we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. In the middle of that is a section about marriage. And it's like, it doesn't fit. It does fit. And it's important to understand the two bookends on both sides of it. And here's what it says. Women, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband's the head of the wife, as unto Christ is the head of the church. He's a savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Going on, here's what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, in this culture, men were not taught to love their wives. They were just an entity depending on which world you were in. If you were in the Greek world, they had one job. Give you kids and take care of the house and make sure you had food on the table. If you were in the Roman world, they were there to divorce. Once you got tired of them, get rid of them, go get another one. And Paul comes in and he goes, hey guys, love your wife. <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand, Paul. That's not our culture. No, 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 you don't understand the culture today. Paul said, love your wife. And by the way, here's your standard, guys. Love them like Christ loves the church. And he goes on. That he might, uh, oh, well, got to go back. I didn't read the rest of it. Um, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water, by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having root, uh, spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me put it in modern day English. When you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to go buy that new tool, you go buy jewelry. For your wife, not for you. Okay? Um, you know, it's not about you anymore. It's about your spouse. It's about your wife. It's about putting her first, guys. 
And again, this was, you've got to understand, this was so countercultural of the time. Women didn't have a, 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 any kind of respect for their husbands because they were nothing more than a piece of property. And so Paul says, look, you know what? Honor your husbands, and, and men, honor your wives, and, 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 and wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, submit to your wives, because everyone's to submit to Christ and one another. That's what he said earlier in chapter 5. And he goes on to say this, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, and then it goes on to end this way. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bone. For this reason, now we come back to Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay? So, that's the passage. Here we go. Let's start applying it. Let's talk about some things that are important for us. First of all, two, two main things. Here's the first thing. Marriage is a God thing. Okay? We're in a culture in which the civil world wants to take over God's definition of marriage. As far as I care, the civil world can make any laws it wants. If you want to allow people to, be, to have a union, same-sex union, okay, in the civil world. You want to, you, you want to allow people, because this is where it's headed, whether you believe it or not, you want to allow people to have a civil union with their, their pets? Okay. In my book. You want, to, you want to allow people to have a civil union with their possessions? You know? Well, you need to understand, I, 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 want, to, I want my car to be my spouse. You go, that's crazy. Well, that's how crazy the world is. You haven't figured it out yet. But when the government... Or when the civil people come in and say, we're going to call it marriage, and we want you to enforce it that way, we, I have a problem. Do whatever you want in the civil world, but if you're going to come into the religious world, you need to understand this. You need to understand that I believe the Bible is my authority for faith and practice. So if I want to know about marriage, I'm going to go to what the Bible says, and I'm going to let the Bible define it. I'm not going to let society define it. I'm not going to let culture define it. I'm not going to let the, the, the fads of the day define it. And we're, we're in a culture in which I'm watching churches go, oh, well, we want to be more acceptable of this, so we're just going to change. Wait a minute. The Bible doesn't change. God doesn't change. And so if it was true back when it was written, it's true today. And so when I come to the issue of marriage, I say, I'm going to let God define it. And when I go to creation, and when I go to Genesis chapter 2, when I go to Ephesians chapter 5, God defines it pretty clear. Man, woman. Oh, but you don't understand. That's not culturally acceptable. I don't care. I'm not going to let culture define it for me. And it's so important that we understand this because we are getting so wrapped up in this thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, you don't understand. You know, you got, you, you got to be culturally relevant. No, I don't. I have to have a standard which doesn't change. And so for me, I go, what does God say? What does God say about it? And I have to, you, you go, well, well, if you say that, are you saying that these people are wrong? That they're, they're, they're sinning? Yes, I am. And you know what? 
Anybody who has a sexual relationship outside of the bond of marriage is sinning. Anybody who drinks alcohol to the excess that they become drunk is sinning. Anybody who lies is sinning. Anybody who cheats is sinning. Anybody who becomes a glutton is sinning. It's not what I think. It's what the book says. And I'm not going to sit around and, 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 and soft pedal it so somebody goes, oh, well, you know, that's... Exa- I just don't believe. I just don't... You know, I don't believe a loving God. Okay, you need to come to Sunday school. We just had that discussion. Okay? Uh, we just had that discussion about this thing. And you go, well, you know, it just sounds like, you know, are you saying that, you know, what we should... No, I'm saying, look, all the t- I see it all the time. Well, would you let those people come into your church? Yes, we invite them. We love them. Come, come, come. They're still wrong. There's a whole bunch of people here today that are doing things they shouldn't be doing that are against the Word of God. We love all of you, but we don't want you to stay that way. We want you to change. We want you to come in obedience to to, to what God, live the way God wants you to live. Me too. I want to be a better spouse because God tells me I should be a better spouse. And it's so important that we understand this because we're in a culture, and and, and I'm watching this. I'm watching this thing play out. Here's what I'm seeing, and, and, you know, this, this frustrates me. But I'm watching couples that are living together. And they're living together, and some of them, here, here's, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing couples who are living together like 5, 10, 15 years. And then they get married. Because they realize, you know what, we might as well go ahead and get married. I mean, we've been living together for like 10 years. Let's go ahead and get married. So they get married. But here's what happened. Their friends got married 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so their friends are posting things on Facebook like, hey, we just had our 20th anniversary. And they're going, well, we've only been married like five years. We feel bad. We've been together 20. So they start posting crazy stuff like, we've been married for five years, but we've been in a loving relationship for 20. Now, wait a minute. If you didn't want it back then 20 years ago, don't go trying to claim it now. That's not right. If you, want to be, if you want to be one of those couples that say we've been married 20 years, then make the commitment to marriage way back then and stay committed to it. And you don't get it both ways. And I see this over and over again, and it's like, and it's so crazy to me that we're, so, we're in a messed up world where we start saying, oh, well, that's just okay. That's just acceptable. No, it's not. It's not. And I tell couples right off the bat, they're like, well, you know, you don't understand. Yeah. Really? Been married 34 years. Been at this for over, well, 35, 36 years I've been doing this thing. Let's just push the Bible aside. I explain to couples who are living together, you need to understand right off the bat. The thing that you have going against you right now. I'm thrilled you want to get married. Great. Let's get married. But you need to understand this. You need to understand you're at a great disadvantage right now statistically no bible just push the bible aside completely statistically here's what i tell couples right off the bat when you walked in here here was the percentage for you getting a divorce because you're living together here's the number and it's about 70 to 80 percent end up in divorce and here's why because you have defined sex and marriage as two separate things so you think sex and marriage are not 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 in the same boat. You can have this without this. And now all of a sudden you come into marriage, here's a question. At the foundation of your relationship is the idea that these two aren't connected. What do you think is going to happen when temptation comes? 
you've already laid the foundation. That's why they end in a higher divorce rate. Not, you would think it would be the opposite. Oh, well, you know, they, they know. No, no, they don't know. And we've got to get back to this idea of looking at, okay, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says, look, we sit here today and we're like, 50 years, that's so awesome. And, and I'm, I'm amazed at that because I can't, I can't believe my wife hasn't killed me in 34 years. But you know what? We've got to get back to this thing of honoring marriage like God honors marriage. And we don't want to let our culture define what we believe about it. The other idea is this. Marriage is a picture of what God does in our lives as Christians. That's why when he talks about this, he talks about this idea of it's a great mystery. Because you see, marriage is a perfect picture of what Jesus does in our lives. Um, as an example, let me give you my, my story. My story is that my wife and I dated for three years. And there came a point at which I said, uh, she's the one. There came a point at which I went, she ain't the one, and we broke up. And I dated somebody else, and she dated somebody else. And then I realized I was an idiot, and so she chased me for a while, and I finally said yes. And... <laughs> And we got back together and we dated and said, now this is a woman who said, I will never date a preacher. I will never marry a preacher, okay? And she knew that I was going to be a preacher. So anyway, so we dated and then there came a point at which um, I grad- she graduated a year before me, so she's the older one in the relationship. Um, better looking, but she's the older one uh, uh, by about a year. So she graduated and I graduated and, and my, parents, my parents got married in their second year of college and dropped out of college. So they were adamant about me getting a degree before I even talked about a girlfriend. So I wanted to honor that, so I got my degree, and then it was like two days later, I think I got engaged. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting this, but, you know, we, 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 we had a park that we, we enjoyed going to, and so we walked out there, and there was a deep ravine, and there was a log that went over it, and so I, we walked out across the log, and I set her down, and then I proposed to her, and I think her thought was, if I say no, he's going to push me off, and then nobody will find my body, but that... You know, not suggested that was the best way to do it, but it was what I thought was romantic at the time. So anyway, and then six months later, we got married. And if you know our story, it's, um, uh, we, couldn't afford, we couldn't afford anything. I mean, I literally, okay, we had $18,000 in school debt, and our combined income was $12,000 a year. Now, you do the math. Um, and so anyway, so we, uh, when we got married, uh, we couldn't, and, and our parents couldn't help with the wedding, so... Uh, we kind of footed it ourselves. So she made her dress. She made all the flowers. Uh, we couldn't afford a photographer. So we found uh, her dad had a buddy that had a camera, and we bought rolls of film, and we, we, he shot the wedding. And then at the end of the wedding, he gave us the rolls of the film, and we developed them. Like every three or four weeks, we develop another roll. It's like, I don't know what's on this roll. Let's go see what's on this roll. Because that, uh, literally, that's, that's the way we started out. And so... Um, we, and we watch God take care and provide and do incredible things over the years. But at one point, I sat down and said, Honey, will you be my wife? And she said, Yeah, I will. And we've been through all kinds of stuff over the years, good, bad. God has been incredibly gracious in that we've stayed together through all of that. Um, marriage is a picture of exactly what Jesus does in our lives as well. You see, whether you know it or not, he's dating you. 
He's trying to get you interested in Him. He's been working in your life to try to get you to understand that He wants a relationship with you. Just like I did a lot of crazy things to get to tell my wife that I wanted a relationship with her. Uh, we were in a school that we were in pretty strict. I actually wrote her a letter every night. We still have those letters. Um, but I wrote a letter every night. And she would write me every night. Um, and, and, and it was one of those things where I wanted her to know, I, I, I want to be with you. I, I want a relationship with you. And there came a point at which I got up enough courage to ask her, and I was fortunate. She said yes. She had a something, I don't know, you know, it was like a brain burp or something. And she, in a weak moment, said yes. Maybe she thought she was going to go into a ravine. I don't know. But she said yes. And six months later, we started this incredible journey called marriage. And um, looking back, I, I wouldn't want it any differently. And just as this passage talked about, I want to try to do the things that, God has done for us, where he loved us. And I want to try to love her with my heart, whole heart. I want to give. I want to put her first. I want to try to do some of the things I've seen Justin Pegg do over the years. I don't know that I'll ever get to the point that I'll always refer to her as my bride, but I get the concept. You know, I get the concept. Um, and I want her to know she's, she's the most important person in my life. Even above my kids. And my kids know, by the way, growing up, they knew. Mom's first. My boys will tell you. You get by with a lot of things in our house. But if you talked about your mom, no, first of all, it was not your mom. It was my wife. Because I, I got into my boy one day and I said, you will not talk to my wife that way. But it's my mom. No, no, that's my wife. It's my wife. Forget the mom thing. This is, this is my wife you're talking about, you know. And you, I remember one day, one of them did something, I don't know. He ticked her off. And I mean, he ticked her off. And he came to me and goes, Dad, Mom's so mad. What do I do? What do I do? And I went, Son, I've been married to a woman for a long time. I said, I've never gone down the road you went down. <laughs> I said, you are in new uncharted territory. You've got to figure this out all on your own because I cannot help you here. I'm smarter than to go down the road you went down. I say that to say that, you know, I mean, I wanted her to know. I wanted her as my wife. And for some of you, for whatever reason, you've pushed God off and you've said, I don't need God and I don't, I'm here to tell you God wants a relationship with you. That's what Christmas is all about. He loved you. He gave his life for you. He wants a relationship with you. Now, unlike me, if she would have said no, I would have probably asked her like maybe one more time and then moved on. God doesn't do that. God continues to ask. You tell him no, he'll ask again and again and again and again and again until the day you die. But the day you die, there's no, there's no second chance at that point. And he makes it very, very clear. You want to reject him here? Okay. He'll reject you in the world to come. And, and you go, well, that doesn't sound like a love. No, no. His love is shown in the fact that he keeps pursuing you and wants a relationship. But you have to do something with it. Just like my wife. She had to say yes. And when she said yes, and then we got married, and we stood before a preacher and a group of people, and we made a vow not just to each other but to God. And we said, we're in this together. And um, like 
everybody here that's been married, you know how that goes. Good days are good, bad days are bad. Tough days are tough. Um, and as long as both of us are here, we're going to keep plugging away at it. And I, I, I just want to challenge you because for some of you, you haven't said yes to God. And he's asking. You just got to say yes. And it starts on this incredible journey. And that's not all roses. If somebody's promising you that when you become a Christian, it's all rainbows and roses and unicorns, you need to run. Because they're not being straight up with you. Just like anybody tell you know, I, I get a couple who says, you know, I ask them, what, so what's your idea of marriage? Oh, it's just going to be so wonderful. And we're going to get up every morning and just love each other. And we're going to live off of love. And I'm like, oh, boy. You know, it's not going to work like that. You know, it's not going to work like that. Christian life is tough. And the second you put your faith and trust in Christ, you need to know Satan's going to do everything he can to undermine your life. That's what Ephesians chapter 6 is about, by the way. How you battle that, how you go through that. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you need to start that journey. And there are people in here that have a relationship with Christ that's months old, and there are people in here that have a relationship with Christ that's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. It's just simply because we said yes. And if you don't know that joy, we would love to share that with you. And for those of you who are here this morning and you are married, can I challenge you with something? The world needs to see two people madly in love with each other through the thin and the thick, through the good and the bad. And we need to model for the world behind us what a Christian marriage looks like of two people who love each other and are trying to outserve each other. And that's what I always tell couples. You get up in the morning and you try to figure out how you can serve your spouse. And your spouse gets up in the morning and they try to figure out how they can outserve you. You give me two people trying to outserve each other in a relationship, you will have an incredible marriage. Let one of you get selfish. It's going to get tough. It's going to get tough. So my challenge for you comes down to something like this. As I end, I end with this idea. Marriage is sourced in God, not in our government. It is something that God honors, and it is something that is dear to the heart of God. Marriage is a picture of our salvation in Christ and a reminder that God loves us and he gave himself for us. As we honor and celebrate marriage today, we also honor and celebrate our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for those who may not have ever said yes to you, who may not have placed their faith and trust in you, would you help them to understand how important it is? Lord, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, may we continue to grow in our relationship with you. May we continue to honor and please you as we try to live our lives, Lord, not to gain anything from you, but rather, Lord, just because we love you. And Lord, for those who are struggling, Lord, this issue of marriage has been uh, tough. And Lord, they've experienced the pain of the heartache of 
marriages that don't work. God, I ask that at our very special